0: Oh, man. My heart's already racing now. I'm all just talking about it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to go chase them.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the DSD podcast. I'm Brad Cochran here with my co-host, Dave Smith. Uh, we want to welcome today's guest, Michael Huntsucker. Michael is a producer and co-host of the popular TV show... Um, Heartland Bowhunter, which airs on the Outdoor Channel. Michael, thanks for coming on, buddy.
0: Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me.
2: Good to have you, Michael. Thanks for for taking some time today and to be with us. We appreciate it very much.
0: Yeah, you bet, man. We've been uh we've been kind of trying to get this get together on this and I'm excited to finally make it happen. Uh, I've enjoyed enjoyed catching up with some of the other podcasts and other guests you guys have had and uh, love talking
2: turkey. Before we start talking about uh, work, work related stuff and hunting related stuff, like what, what, what's going on in your life right now? Like, are you like shed hunting right now? Are you like, like editing, editing right now? Or what, what are you up to these days?
0: Yeah, this is kind of a transition period as far as for us, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize Sean and I don't hunt full time. That's not our, (laughs) our job isn't to go and hunt. Um, we, uh, we, we run, uh, you know, several companies actually. And, and um, we do all of our own production in house, like you kind of alluded to. Um, and so, yeah, now is, is really um, kind of a uh, in between seasons, right? You know, deer seasons come to a close, turkey season get ready to ramp up. Uh, so, we focus this time of year a lot on uh, land management type stuff, whether we're doing um, prescribed fires or 10% improvement or uh, shed hunting, uh, we're frost seeding food plots, just. A lot of that type of stuff, um, you know, that's here and there a couple days a week here and there, but we are really in the thick of it of our uh, of our post-production season. So we are working on new episodes of HB that will be airing later this year on Outdoor Channel, and we're wrapping up um, the last few episodes of Full Strut, which is our turkey hunting mini series that is pretty much anywhere you can watch content digitally, um, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Uh, YouTube channel, it's it's pretty much everywhere, and so those are kind of the the things we're working on right now. Uh, so a lot more time in the office uh, than than usual.
1: And the show is it? Um, you're re- recording it on a on a one year lag, basically. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, basically. So yeah, so everything that we're dropping uh, on the turkey on full strut right now is last spring's content. Um, same thing with the TV show. Uh, just the way that you know that's kind of the way we've always operated with with um, the, the television side has always been that way. It just has to be the way the way that uh, the content comes out and the episodes are released. But um you know, on the on the digital side of things, we could do we could certainly do like a semi live type format, but for us and our our brand and concept and the storylining that goes into, you know, each of these these videos that we're dropping, um, they take a little more time, a little more planning and they're not just not just uh, raw kind of vlog style they're more polished and more you know storyline. so um, that's the way we've, we've done it and it seems to work for us like I said I mean it's just that's how what we, we've hung our hat on you know and in the industry is is telling the story about the hunt and, and really um, creating something that's visually appealing but also very compelling as well.
1: And right you guys on. do a great job of that. One of the things that I give you guys the highest marks for is um, your cinematography is just breathtaking. I mean, it really, really is uh, amazing. And it it sets you guys apart from a lot of the other shows that I've, I've watched.
0: Yeah, that was, you know, when we got started, that was, that was our niche. You know, that was our way into the industry. And um, it's funny because, you know, I talked to, people all the time and everybody's just like man like how do i get involved in the industry right it's a passion sport it's a passion industry everybody wants to be a part of it but um you know i tell everybody like find your niche find what you're good at like our niche is high quality high high high-end production like your guys niche is high-end high-quality decoys and so you know you if you start off kind of um in the shadows of 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 something that's already been done, then you're already one step behind. And so we need that type of innovation and, and um, you know, evolution in the industry to continue to grow the the sport and continue to reach, you know, new people.
2: Mike, can you give us a, a just kind of a, an overview and the history and how you got started and who your partners are in Heartland Bowhunter? He,
0: yeah. So just a quick, quick overview. We actually, Sean and I got started initially um, on the tree arm side of things. We didn't really know what we were going to get into. Sean and I uh, have grown up together, been best friends forever, went to high school and college together, and we knew we wanted to do own our own business one day. We both have an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we're both very, very passionate hunters and primarily archery. Um, and so we actually, at a young age in high school, started filming hunts and just for fun, sharing with friends and family capturing everything we could and uh got a little more serious about it and sean's dad actually owns a machine shop um and we started manufacturing tree arms under the heartland bow hunter name that was our that was our foot in the door into the industry so to speak um and once we did you know start started doing the tree arms we wanted to kind of partner with some uh guys here locally people that were friends of ours that we hunted together with or whatever to, to kind of create a create some video content to promote the tree arm and um, so we started you know getting getting the tree arms out to some people getting out in the field capturing footage and um, and, and long story short we ended up you know selling those tree arms to a lot of other producers who were doing tv shows we learned about the tv business side of it and we saw an opportunity um at that time you know now we're at a a point now where i mean you know equipment is affordable the barriers to entry are very very small compared to what what they once were so that has been a great thing for you know pushing um you know innovation in in the industry especially on the video side but you know 14 15 years ago there wasn't there wasn't any storyline behind any hunt it was just a, a highlight reel kill of kill shots and montages and um which as you guys know that's not what hunting is about like obviously you know, success is different in everybody else in everybody's eyes, but um, you know the end goal is releasing an arrow. But the the process is what I think hooks most people, and is definitely why I'm drawn to the sport. Right, absolutely,
1: and, <clears throat> yeah. It it's just so much more than than just the kill. Your your guys show is, and and I think that's one of the things that is unique about it. Um, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie and. Um, and just all the different aspects that that come together to make a successful hunt, not just the kill itself. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean that's 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 why I got hooked on hunting in the very beginning was just the atmosphere the camaraderie. You know, going I was a kid going to deer camp with my dad and his buddies and just sitting around the fire, hanging out, telling stories, camping. Uh I just I just fell in love with the outdoors and anything outdoors at that at that point. And uh I think that's, you know a big driving force for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's impressive that you um, can film all that stuff. Like, you know, like, like whitetail hunting and turkey hunting is it's, it's difficult enough and stressful enough if you're not filming and, you know, you add the element of filming to those things and all of a sudden it, it must be a lot, lot harder.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we try not to take it too serious. Um, You know, we, we uh, obviously want a high end, you know, high, high production end product, but at the same time, I think part of, um, you know, the reason we were able to, to establish, um, you know, in the beginning of the industry and actually grow so quickly was, was because of, you know, the relatability and the, the rawness. We tried to kind of find a mix of, you know, raw relatable content, but highly, but highly, you know, highly stylized and highly produced. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, there's something to be said for, you know, having fun. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. It's just, we love, you know, we love the, we enjoy the whole filming side of things. We like telling stories. Um, we like producing, producing hunts. And so, you know, in this type of industry, that, that passion definitely shows through in the end product. And, um, you know, it's funny as I just, as I'm just talking about this, it's just, it's cool to see or think about how many parallels there are with what you guys do. I mean, obviously, you know, you guys I think got started off Dave, you know, when when you were getting started because it was a passion and you were really really passionate about making the best and doing the best and um you know, the all everything else just comes naturally when when you're in it for the right reasons.
2: Yeah, and then all these years later I think about how much money I would have if, if I had just gotten it. <laughs>
0: Uh, if you just would have been school to become a doctor yeah
2: (laughs) exactly yeah stay (laughs) stay in school kids and then yeah yeah, but then but
0: then dave you'd be the you'd be the guy that um you know i go to camp with and he's like oh man i'm just so sick and tired of the the grind. i finally got away for a weekend you know
2: yeah yeah for sure uh, so
0: you know the grass is always greener on the other side right
2: well, I mean, I, I'm joking. Like it, it's not, and I know, I know you feel that way too. Like I, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Like, I mean, it's just fun to be in the outdoor industry. And I, I like, you know, I, I love the people that I work with and stuff like that too. And it's just like, if you could see the text messages that Brad and I were sending and Brad and I and Greg and Scott were, <laughs> were sending each other last night and my wife's looking over my shoulder and she's like, are you like 12?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, uh, Brad. I probably shouldn't tell you this. This is probably going to make the the intro and stuff like that. But, but this is you know this kind of goes along with what. Besides this being related to hunting and stuff like that, it's just fun. It's just a. It's fun to have your own business. It's fun to work with, you know, with your best friends and all that stuff. But, I like, I like scratched out a picture of a keel design. Um, <laughs> And then Brad sends it back and he drew like two great big balls on it and made it made it a penis. And then <laughs> and then I send it send it back to him, making it Mr. Mackey from South Park. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's uh, about that's about right. We have the similar <laughs> the similar conversations in our group text and my wife looks at me like, What are you laughing at? And I'm like, Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. She's like, show me. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You're not gonna laugh.
1: <laughs> in, in my defense the keel already did resemble a penis yeah
2: that's true so... <laughs> that would have
0: been by design who knows
2: <laughs> well and then my wife's comment she was like that's out of proportion the balls are way too big <laughs> <laughs> like
1: okay well i oh. i had to work with a really long narrow keel design <laughs> that's so... true yeah that's true
0: there you go yeah. it's all about uh, the effectiveness right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> okay. So, um, just just so everyone um knows, so when you're talking about your partner Sean, who you you kind of grew up with and and started this with, that's Sean Lucktel, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then who who else is um who else are is like people that you work with or partners, friends yeah. in the industry?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have a you know we have a a, a solid group of of guys that are part of the show. Um, Sean and I do it full time and that's kind of our, you know, our bread and butter so to speak. But, um, you know, we have a group of, uh, you know, five or six other guys that can contribute and that we hunt and share camp with those guys all kind of have full-time gigs, um, you know, aside from, uh, what, what they do with HB, but most of them are pretty flexible, you know, to be able to do, you know, travel and hunt and film and do that type of stuff. They got to have pretty, pretty flexible jobs. So our group of guys is pretty cool. It's a tight knit group of, of guys that, you know, a lot of us grew up together. A lot of us are from, you know, the Kansas city, Missouri area. We do have a couple guys kind of outliers in the, in the uh, Kansas side, but you know, for the most part, local here out of the Midwest and, and pretty much everybody that's a part of HB has been a part of HB for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, so it's just cool. It's just, you know, we, I, I enjoy, the relationship side of this business and the industry. And, um, I just love meeting people that are passionate about similar, you know, similar things. And, um, over the years, it's been pretty cool just to, to, you know, go to these trade shows, to meet people, to, you know, partner and work with people that, that we want to work with and that make great products and, um, that we can kind of basically help each other out. So it's been a fun ride for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we, we get so many, um, people at DSD that, uh, tell us that their, their whole goal is to, you know, start filming their hunts and they just want to make a living, you know, in that, on that side of it. So, so we know how many people there are, you know, that are, that want to be in your position and how difficult it is and how competitive it is and stuff. So, you, you know, you guys have really, um, you know, stood out and, and, uh, kind of, kind of paved the way. And you've got a lot of people that kind of want to want to do what you're doing now
0: yeah i mean if you if if you're willing to put in the time and grind and do everything that you know possible to make it work it'll work and um you know we we found a way to make it work we have a system that works for us and um you know like i said in the beginning we don't film hunts for a living you know we don't hunt for a living necessarily like um it'd be very difficult to for us to do what we do you know if it was only one one arm of, of our business, but, you know, we have several different um, streams of, of revenue and, um, you know, we, Sean and I have literally busted our tails from, from day one for the past, you know, 14 years to get this thing off the ground, get it running, and uh, it continues to be a, a battle. We, you know, we're never, we're never complacent with anywhere that we have gotten and uh, this industry and the whole content world um, even outside of, of our industry, has gotten extremely, extremely complex. And for us to continue to do, try to stay on the leading edge of things, you know, we have to stay in tune with what's going on. We have to diversify our business and diversify what we're doing as a company um, in order to remain relevant and, and um, successful in all, all the different areas.
1: How's uh How's
0: Trent doing? Trent's doing good, man. He's he's uh he's good. He's had a couple babies since uh in the past past few years and um you know that that that's been an interesting um evolution for our team of guys. You know, we're a group of mostly, you know, 30s, early 30s guys that um you know, I, I have two little boys. I have a a 7-year-old and a 5-year-old. Um Skyler who's on, who's on our show, he's got a uh I want to say like a 6 and a 4-year-old. And so we kind of have some of the older kids, but a lot of our guys are starting to have have uh, have kids and grow their families right now. And so it's been really interesting to see that kind of evolve because we went from these guys who had you know way more you know you you never realize how much expendable time you have until you have children, and then mm-hmm. you know your priorities shift and change and and uh, so it's been interesting to see. But yes, yeah, so a Trent's been busy man with um, you know he's actually had had a couple kids, and then he's actually going through a a career change, uh, he was in the, <clears throat> in the health industry and recently moved over to selling land for Midwest land group, which actually several of our guys do. I talked about having, you know, flexible jobs that allow them to do it, do what they love. And, um, you yeah, know, several of our guys are agents, Clayton, Nate, Trent, uh, Joel, they're, they're all agents for Midwest land group. And so they sell, uh, recreational and hunting property. And so it's kind of a nice, mix it allows them to um, you know similar to you know what everybody wants to do be you know surround themselves with uh, a, career, a career and something they love and they tour farms and look at properties and, and sell properties and um, kind of set their own schedule and and meet their own goals and it's one of those deals that you know come hunting season you know their their phone never stops ringing but uh, at least they uh, you know affords them the, the ability to do some some extra hunting
2: wow that's that's cool like uh you know i've always thought that that'd be a really good business to be in because you know if you like if you know know anybody that sells uh real estate like um residential you know when a when a really 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 good deal comes up they they jump on it themselves and so (laughs) if you're selling hunting property you know you're you're gonna get a sift through a whole bunch of properties and and uh trent you know trent could probably uh end up finding finding something just a total total gem of a property for himself or for you guys, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're just immersed in that whole side of things talking to landowners. Um, so whether it be, you know, maybe they're not interested in, in selling, but maybe they're interested in, in leasing or, you know, get permission, you know, from them just to hunt the property. And so definitely some, some benefits on both sides of things. So I know, uh, I know Trent's planning on kicking off turkey season. We're all kind of gearing up for it. Nebraska opens, uh in a couple of days here and um I don't think we have any plans to to get after it in Nebraska right away this year at least but um but Kansas won't be won't be too far behind and so I know Trent's planning on getting out and man I think that was that may be the last time I ran into you guys with down there uh when you guys were turkey hunting I can't remember are you guys heading back this year
1: uh unfortunately no um we're just insanely slammed not only with um our our turkey business but um we have some some upcoming projects that are keeping us really busy and uh yeah just finding the time to to travel unfortunately is really difficult right now we we would like to um and and you're right the last time we saw you was down there and that was before trent even got married so i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out how long ago that was five years ago yeah,
0: four or five years ago yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's crazy man Jeez. time flies <laughs> <laughs>
1: i know oh, but man. yeah
0: i love the i love that early season in kansas and a little easier for me to uh jump across the border i'm like you know 30 minutes away from the border so uh for you guys it'll be a little more of a haul
1: <laughs> well and plus last time we almost got killed by lightning yeah oh
0: really that's I right didn't, i didn't hear that story <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh maybe boy. i did yeah maybe i'm gonna I let
2: dave tell that story Oh, that was just I, i'll I'll never forget the look on on your face, Brad. Like, so, yeah, Brad and I are it's just the two of us, and we're we're like sneaking through the absolute pitch darkness uh, and setting up our blind. And uh, we're finally, we're all set up, and we're inside the blind and and you know the weather is kind of unstable and stuff. And all of a sudden, there was just a, a bolt of lightning that struck like s- somewhere so near us. It was just unbelievable how loud it was. And, uh, you know, my hearing's already bad. It probably damaged it, you know, even worse. It was just like, it was like somebody shot like 20 cannons off, like right next to our, our heads and the whole inside of the blind completely lit up as bright as could be. And I just remember I, in that instant, I saw the the horrified look on Brad's face and I just thought, okay, well, well, we're dead now. Like we're I don't I think we're in hell. Um but that that was just that was
1: terrifying. The actual sound of the electricity before the lightning bolt yeah. you know ripped down through the sky. Um yeah, it was just it was really bizarre, you know. It was just the I don't know how to describe the sound of electricity, just kind of a buzzing sound, you know, like bzz-
0: yeah, just, just all up.
1: that energy building and then all of a sudden this this lightning rod shot down and like dave said it was it was just as bright as if it were you know middle of the day and inside that blind and um yeah it was incredibly loud i've never heard a a sound that loud before it probably hit the ground what would you say dave i mean within probably 15 or 20 feet of the blind
2: Yeah, it had to, or or a tree or something like that. I, I mean, we never, I think we were so scared. We never even really looked to see where it hit or anything like that, but we just, we just, yeah, that was bad. That was scary. It's crazy. The situations that we
0: find ourselves in, you know, as hunters, uh, just lots of crazy stories like that. I don't, I don't think I've ever I'm to think if I've ever had any close calls with lightning I know I have when I've been fishing on the lake and it's just like okay not worth it to be on this giant body of water uh let's uh let's let's pull under a dock and get off get off the lake but um I was out last week doing some frost seeding for some clover and uh there was some some rain in the forecast and I was like oh it's, it's it was like later in the evening so I was like I'm gonna go out this afternoon throw some seed down that way it'll kind of the rain will come in and kind of soak it up into the soil and and uh, get a good start for the spring and I got out there and got the got the uh buggy all the way back, you know, back in the food plot area of the property and I'm like, Man, it's starting to get kinda of dark. I'm like, That's kinda of weird and I'm like, look at my phone and it was it said like there wasn't they pushed back the percentages chances till late in the afternoon. I look at the radar and there's like this giant red blow up storm coming like right towards us. And so I'm like, Oh boy, okay, I better get going here. So I start seeding and Literally, the tornado sirens start going off. I get texts from my wife and my father-in-law, who knew I was down there on the property. He's like, "Uh, he's like, yeah, there's a tornado that has touched down just southwest here coming directly at us. Like, uh, you okay? I was like, well, at this point, like, I'm back here. Like, there's nothing, no, you know, it, it would take me too long to get back to any sort of shelter. So I was like, yeah, I'll just stick it out, and here we go. So the tornado sirens are going off in the background. I'm spreading clover seed. It starts hailing on me. I was like, oh my gosh, nothing ever goes smoothly.
1: <laughs> so let me get this straight. Um, did you, you actually wonder why we haven't been back
2: to Kansas? <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, okay, there you, go. there you go. Now it all <laughs> yeah, makes mean, sense.
2: That's, that's pretty serious. Tornado stuff. I mean, alley,
0: like, lightning.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, we've we watched the Wizard of Oz, so we know, we know what goes on over there.
0: What's crazy though, talking about all this, and we were just talking about it, you know, a few weeks ago with my buddies, but like. When we had all that crazy, nasty, nasty cold weather, it's like these turkeys are relentless, man. They're, they're unbelievable. Like, how do they survive? Like, tornadoes, lightning, freaking blizzard storms. Like, it was cold here for a while. Like, colder than normal. We had, like, a stretch of a week where it did not get above, like, maybe, like, 15, 20 degrees. And it was dipping into, the like, you know, negative teens, which... Sure, there's areas, you know, you get South Dakota and stuff. there's areas even colder and even worse. It's just like amazes me that those turkeys can survive through that those conditions.
2: Yeah, well,
1: yeah, and it's like just a, I don't want to say a daily occurrence, but it's certainly an every year occurrence for them. Um, you know, and like that morning that that Dave and I had the experience with the lightning, that was on a on a spring turkey hunt in Kansas after Trent dropped us off in the dark, the pitch black uh, (laughs) and kind of gave us a general direction where his ground blind was. And um, anyways, but after that uh, lightning storm passed through, you know, Dave and I were just happy to be alive. And um, you know, the sun came up and the birds came out and it was just like, it's like no big deal, you know, like nothing had happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're funny
1: turkeys just went right back to their, you know, their thing.
0: Yeah. They changed their mood with a flip of a switch. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That, that, that wasn't the end of the danger on that one though, because we had to ride around with Trent who, who was driving, <laughs> driving at 70 miles an hour on gravel roads while texting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hell so, of a little multitasker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He,
2: yeah. That's how he gets, he's a, that's how he gets a lot done. But yeah, no, that's, yeah. You know, with turkeys, that that is amazing. Like, and I remember just just a few years ago going to Central Oregon and talking to some of the ranchers that have let us turkey hunting, and kind of checking in with them. And they said, "Yeah, listen, that our our winter was so bad here. Like, there's the turkeys are going to be wiped out. There's not going to be any left." And And so, you know, I don't, I don't want you to hunt them. And we're like, yeah, we, we get it. That's, that's horrible and stuff like that. And next thing you know, like there's a flock of like 60 turkeys and, you know, and, and they're just healthy as could be. And it's, you know, it's, it is, it, they are just amazing survivors. And I don't know if, you know, if they, if sometimes it, it snows and then it ices over on the top and it actually elevates them, um, and that somehow helps them survive or something like that. But they, they are amazing survivors. That's for sure
0: no doubt about
2: it yep
1: so on that subject uh mike tell us about your plans for this upcoming spring uh, turkey season
0: yes i think we are uh i think you know i'm gonna kick things off in kansas we got a couple other guys that are gonna be hunting kansas early archery as well um a lot of times we'll do the nebraska uh, opener it opens march 25th and so uh, we're not far from Nebraska either. We have some some ground we can hunt up that way. And uh, I, I ran up there last year. Actually, the the first episode of Full Strut that we just released um, this past week is from my trip to Nebraska last year. I went up and hunted the opener. So it always kind of depends. We we like to watch the weather because you know how temperamental these birds are. Like if if it's not if it's you know snowing and rainy and crappy, they're just not in the right mood and just makes for not the most fun turkey hunting. So if the weather's right though, a lot of times we'll we'll jump up across the border and kick things off up there and um last year it was it was good. It was the weather was nice. It had been nice for a little while. The turkeys were just, you know, starting to feel frisky. And so we actually went um out to a little further west. A lot of times we'll just hunt like real close to Missouri here in the southeast corner, but we went further west and we're hunting some uh big flocks of Rios with my buddy Cody Cook, um uh, at Heartland Pride Outfitters. He uh he he runs a place there in Nebraska. We we deer hunt with him in Kansas, but he uh, also they they do some hunts in Nebraska as well. And um, so we went out there and hunted and had a crazy crazy hunt. We we I think we hunted that morning and didn't didn't get on the flock and they kind of moved and we kind of tried to get on them midday, but we couldn't end up pulling anything together. So we made a move and got close to the roost for the evening hunt. Which you know Missouri we don't get to hunt evenings, but in Kansas and Nebraska you can. And so it's kind of a you know it's always a a tough decision whether to like hunt a roost or not because if you you know you don't if you're not successful then you got to wait it out till pitch black and try to sneak out or even if you do shoot one you know you kind of blow up the roost and kind of educate some birds so uh but we decided to kind of not get too close but get close enough and ended up having a crazy hunt and killed uh i killed two and my buddy joey killed one we killed three gobblers in a matter of i don't even know 15-20 minutes so it was a pretty sweet hunt
1: no, oh, that's awesome. Well, and the impact that you have when you're bow hunting isn't as bad as, you know, it would be one thing if you, yeah. you know, you're blasting them with your 12 gauge. Um, That certainly, certainly has a pretty, pretty disastrous effect on the roost, but um, I've certainly got away with some pretty, pretty close hunts to the roost with, with my bow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're and same, like, you way. know, the thing early, archery season seems like they're a pretty dang flocked up too. So that's the other tough part is like, you know, that roost might be the, might be the roost for, you know, a whole mile of Creek bottom or whatever. And, you know, if you bust them off that, they may move to a whole different property, you know, especially out in that area, of Nebraska, where it's pretty, pretty uh, sparse out there.
2: So do you, do you guys do archery exclusively or, or mostly?
0: Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Heartland bow hunter, we're kind of tied to it, but, you know, I, I was talking to the guys last year and of course this happens every year where we just get pissed off at them eventually when they're just not doing things right. And I said, you know, you said, I said, you guys know our, our many, our digital series is called full strut. It doesn't, doesn't say anything about bow hunter. So, <laughs> um, I actually did last year, I actually did blast them with a shotgun. I just had had enough, man. I just hunted them hard in Missouri and I don't know what it is. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really weird. We have our, a couple different, you know, it seems like the past few years the Missouri season has been a, just a grind. I don't know if it has to do with just timing and weather and the breeding cycle or what it is, but it's, it's just been tough. It's been really hit or miss. And, um, even like on our farm in, in Northern Missouri, where we, we deer hunt a lot and every year we do a turkey camp up there and it is un believable those birds out there there are so many birds but they are the toughest birds to hunt they they just don't they just don't come to decoys well they don't come to the call they'll they'll gobble and and you know but they'll always keep their distance and it's like they're it's just like it's a weird deal like there's so many birds and so many of the birds have gotten so old because we don't you know we don't hunt it we always joke like man we need to go and just kind of kill a couple and you know stir up the the pecking order or something but um Yeah. I mean, it, it last year got to me to the point where I was like, you know what, these birds, I brought my gun with me. So of course got the bow and I got the gun and you know, I like to hunt. I'm not, I'm not stuck on, you know, only bow hunting turkeys. You know, I, I, I love bow hunting turkeys. I I think it's a lot of fun and it's a unique challenge in itself, but I'm not, I'm not married to it by any means. So I, I kind of brought both out and was like, well, if they cooperate, I'll shoot them with a bow. If not, I got the gun and had these, this three or four pack of gobblers. I think it was four yeah it was four and they'd been together all season long and I had a couple encounters with them and they just you know they're just loud they gobble you know they come to the call but they were always a little timid to, to finish on the decoy they just wouldn't they wouldn't quite always finish and um so I was like you know they, they had they flew down and and uh kind of went the other way just gobbling 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 just non-stop and we had a couple other birds that were working but we they didn't end up doing anything so I was like if they don't stop gobbling like we're just gonna go get them so they didn't stop gobbling and we took off after him hiked through the uh some timber and snuck up on them on the edge of this field and it was kind of cool man it was, it was one of those deals versus like that to me like that's the rush in in shotgun hunting turkeys is like being able to run and gun and being able to be mobile and you know sneaking in tight to them when they have no clue you're there and uh, ended up popping up over this crossing this creek and popping up over this ditch and here they all four of them came out you know along the edge and then just perfect like 20 yards no problem so <laughs> it was kind of cool but then it was one of those deals you know i afterwards i was like eh, that, was, that was cool but it wasn't as exciting as shooting one with a bow <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> and sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and take them how you can get them
0: that's right that's right i mean i I've been turkey hunting enough to know that you're going to get some easy ones and you're going to get some, some tough ones. And so got to be thankful for all of them.
1: And, and you were talking about that, that hunt was for, um, Missouri Easterns.
0: Yep. Yep. That was in Missouri. Yep. So.
1: And you guys get some birds that are just insanely huge there in, I think, particularly Northern Missouri Um, but I hear about 30 pounders all the time, which is just, it's just hard to wrap my mind around because, um, our birds out here, I would say our typical Rio Tom is probably right around 16, 17 pounds. I mean, we consider a 20 pound bird to be, to be pretty dang big, but 30, I I just can't even imagine.
0: Yeah. Southern Iowa and Northern Missouri, man, they just get big. And I, I've killed, um, you know, I've killed quite a few in the, in the 20s, um, you know, mid mid to upper 20s. But, yeah, never never a 30-pounder. But um, I actually do have, I, I think, I haven't checked, the, like, the NWTF records lately, but I shot back in, like, oh, 2000 and, I don't even remember when it was, 2012 maybe, or 2013, something like that. I, I shot the, the heaviest bird ever killed with a bow in Missouri. It was 29.1 pounds.
1: My goodness!
2: Wow,
0: that so was one, amazing. one of those deals where, like, just had this bird come in. It was like a late morning hunt, and shot him, and and uh, went to pick him up. And I was like, I looked down on his feet, and I was like, Oh my god! I was like, His feet are huge, and his legs are huge, and like I grabbed him, and pick him up, I'm like, Oh, dang! I was like, This bird is heavy, and I'm like, This bird's probably, you know, 25 pounds. You know, it's hard to feel the difference between a 24 and a 28 or 29 pounder. It's like, you know, you don't. You know, carry pick up that many turkeys to, to to check them, and so I was like, dang! I was like, I have no idea how big it is. So I get get back home. And I have a you know my bass my little bass scale and throw them on there, and it's like twenty nine point one pounds. I was like, whoa! I was like, that's way bigger than I thought. And I was like, I text the guys, in our group chat, and I was like, yeah, he weighs twenty nine pounds. And they're like, that's crazy! Like you should look up the records. I don't even know what they are. Like we, I I had heard of thirty pounders getting killed, like you guys said with with shotguns, and so I looked it up and sure enough yeah I think the record with a bow was like 28 something and and uh so i was like well i'll get with the nwtf and get in so i had to have a had to have another nwtf member and had to go to official scale like the local meat locker here and and weigh it but uh but submitted it and and uh yeah i'll have to check and see but yeah it was last i looked it was the heaviest ever killed with a bow in missouri so pretty crazy
2: that's pretty cool yeah like and that and that's a completely wild bird so we you know we in Oregon will will get some people that will enter birds of that size but they're they're ones that and so, sometimes literally can't fly or they've just been they've been raised basically and fed fed their entire lives and live you know live just outside of a barnyard so oh yeah yeah
0: that's cool crazy. To a
2: we... totally wild one you know
0: yeah yeah, and um, I'm trying to think. Rex, Rex, Sean's dad, and I doubled up last uh, spring before last on on two birds, and they were both tanked. His was like 26 something, and mine was 24 something. I think so. That was that was up in northern Missouri too. There, so they get big for sure, you know. And those birds, you know, I, I don't know. I'm no expert on aging them, but you know, I, I don't think those either one of those birds were like super old birds by any means. The bird the bird I killed was definitely an old, you know, really, really old bird, just giant spurs and just huge legs. Um, the ones Rex and I killed, they looked like, you know, if I was just judging off, you know, the bird and the spurs and stuff, I'd say they were, you know, three-year-old birds, nothing, nothing crazy. They were just fat, fat as could be. They just, just got a lot incredible. of food up there.
2: Yeah. It's, I was, was going to say it's just incredible habitat, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And, and are those, are those, um, birds are they mostly corn fed then
0: yeah i mean yeah we have a lot of corn beans um you know lots of ag so i think a lot of them you know they, they eat a lot of grain and then we have lots of pasture as well so eating lots of bugs they're just they they really got it all up here as far as you know missouri uh habitat wise lots of lots of timber lots of cover lots of food you know just basically everything they need to Thrive and survive. Um, I It's been a while since I was looking at the populations, but we were kind of wondering, like, you know, our group of guys was like texting about, you know, what. I wonder what state has the most most turkeys. And Missouri's up there um, as far as numbers-wise. I know Texas, I think, is the number one, I think. But uh, Missouri just has birds everywhere to where, you know, you think, you'd almost think like Kansas or Nebraska because, you know, you hunt Kansas and Nebraska and you hunt these flocks of, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 birds. Um, but they're way more condensed. You know, you might have a 1,200 acre ranch in Kansas with, you know, two or three draws through it and a couple of flocks of birds. Well, Missouri, you got, you know, there's, especially in the Kansas City area, I'm, you know, it's a pretty populated area where I'm at. And so uh, we, like I said, we do most of our hunting up in Northern Missouri where there's, you know, more large attraction land. But around here, um, you know, just in kind of Kansas City suburbia, there's you know people got 10 acres here, 20 acres there, 30 acres here and you know there's a bird on every little parcel thing near so they're just really really populated across the whole state um and really really well distributed so
1: yeah we we've been out in Texas and and it uh, sounds really similar to um that Nebraska, Kansas hunting um really really concentrated birds in the in the bottoms for sure
0: yeah yeah i need to I need to pull that up but yeah i know i just know i remember missouri was pretty high up on the list there i never have hunted texas that's something i would love to do eventually it's just we get spoiled here i feel like in missouri it's like we you know we go 30 minutes to kansas we're an hour and a half from nebraska an hour and 45 from iowa we have some pretty pretty good opportunity here within a all within a couple hours, and so uh, it's, it's usually a lot for uh, you know for to get to get us to, to kind of travel for turkeys. But actually, I am going to go to Colorado this year. I've never have done that, and uh, a buddy of mine has a place out there on the eastern plains where I've been deer hunting the past couple of years, and so going to try that uh, this year. I'm looking forward to that.
2: Right on. Do you uh, do Do you guys know? Watching your videos, it seems like most of the time you hunt you hunt like without a blind is that is that kind of your your mo for the most part
0: yeah i mean for the most part we um it just it's just more you know a little more challenging a little more mobile a little more run and gun and it's unfortunate part of filming is is you're never really that mobile uh but just being out in the elements and like you know no you know blinds are great they're extremely effective and uh, they're great for you know kids to conceal movement and and whatever else but um you know and they they are fun i like you know i like bow hunting out of a blind because you put the decoys at five yards and get the birds really close and like i said it's it's really effective but there's also something to be said for just kind of being out there in the elements with it and being in the wide open and not having a whole lot of um you know cover surrounding you so we'll use natural like a natural ground blind we have these these little blinds called fast strike blinds that are like a it's like a folding plastic l-shaped deal that has bungees on it and you can bungee cover into it so you can basically just throw throw that over your shoulder with a strap and kind of carry it and then just pop it up in front of you real quick um we've used those little stake blinds you know in the past too uh that that like hunter specialties makes where you just pop it out and it's like a mesh like a camo deal and pop it up it's it's uh doesn't look as good as like a natural you know natural blind necessarily but it, it can be effective too and uh, you know, there's been situations where it happens so fast where we just plop down and, and sat next to the trees. And that's where, you know, I don't know. I just love, I just, I just love the intensity, like feeling like you're just exposed out there in the wide open and like any chance, you know, they could, they could look and see you. And that's where, you know, decoys are, are so, so effective at drawing, having the attention off of you and on the, on the decoy. And so. That's something that we, you know, we rely on a lot. I feel like is just literally stand still, do not move an inch until the time's right, till that bird comes in, struts and and turns away, and gives you an opportunity to draw. And so uh, it's just something about being out there in the elements and, and being exposed for sure.
1: Oh man, I I absolutely love that that rush. Um, and and you nailed it. Just the the feeling of vulnerability when you're not inside a blind, it's so intense. Sometimes I feel like um, my heart is beating, you know, so so rapidly that the, the bird is actually going to be able to see me, you know, shaking.
2: <laughs> and yeah. um,
1: that's just a feeling that you don't quite get inside a blind. I mean, it's still exciting. It's very exciting inside a ground blind. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, there's just something about that, that rush you get when you know that, um you know you the bird could look over at you and you don't even have to be moving but it can recognize that you're out of place and you know as soon as as soon as uh as soon as they bust you they're they're gone as, as you know
0: yeah yeah I had one last year like picture perfect everything and it was oh just so frustrating but like picture perfect everything you know got in I'd roosted the night before got in early the next morning got close to the roost, he was by himself, uh, flies down in the field, see the decoy, like, comes on a string, like, not full-on sprint, but a nice quick trot, you know, head up in the air, head up in the air, and he's running, and then all of a sudden he just whoop, hits the brakes, his snood just whoop, shrinks up, and he just turns and starts walking the other way, and I was like, oh, this is over, no matter what I do now, like, I can call, I can do whatever, like, it's over. He went and strutted on the edge of the timber for, like, an hour, wouldn't leave, he went into the timber strutting back and forth like peeking out I was like so frustrated and so so mad with that with that bird but you know that was I think that was the camera got him uh, I think he saw the camera on that one which is that's the other part it's difficult without a blind is trying to conceal the camera and even if you do you know we have a lot of like ghillie suit mesh stuff we put around but still you gotta have the lens exposed and there's obviously glare that comes off of that lens and when the birds come running in like that, you have to be moving the camera to follow them. And so if they just happen to catch the glare or catch, catch something, it can be detrimental. But, but like you said, that, that adrenaline rush, that, that, oh man, that, that feeling, I just don't even get that like with deer it's opposite to me. Like I'm literally calm as can be like, I got to have a big buck coming in. Like I'm focused, I'm calm. And you know, my heart goes nuts after I release the arrow, but with Turkey, it's like, yeah, it's just like, that anticipation of like because you never know like you you might have a turkey in your decoys full strut maybe beating the crap out of the decoy even and you still never know if you're gonna be able to get drawn back you know you wait for that right opportunity and I try to be patient like patience is hard when you're all jacked up and excited but I try to be patient maybe to a fault sometimes you know or I've had situations where I wait 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 for an opportunity to draw and the bird loses interest and starts to leave and then you don't get the the opportunity to draw and you got to kind of force it but um yeah it just you you never know until until the the only time like when calmness comes into my body is when i'm at full draw like when i reach full draw, and the bird's not spooked i can take a deep breath and focus and i'm just like all right i got it i won
1: <laughs> well yeah but then you gotta you gotta pray to god that that the bird doesn't shift you know and and you have yeah. to sit there at full draw i mean that's what as much as anything i get anxiety you know uh, uh, about, about that happening. Even when I do get to full draw, I mean, you're, you're obviously a lot calmer than I am. Um, but, um, yeah, I've had that happen a million times where I get to full draw and then here I am stuck at full draw for, you know, sometimes feels like minutes. I'm sure it's probably more like, you know, 30 seconds or so before I get the shot off, but man, I start hyperventilating and, and, um, and then it's all over. I mean, I might as well let down and and pray to God that the bird doesn't see me. But uh, no, it's it, you know you mentioned how how exciting it is to to bow hunt them without a ground blind, and I get that same level in them when you introduce a camera because that's just another thing that they can you know that they can pick out, and um, I I don't think that the average person realizes how difficult it is to film a bow hunt for turkeys without any kind of ground blind whatsoever it's just it's insanely challenging and um ironically enough the first time i ever tried doing it we did it successfully and then i went about oh for the next 10 after that and so I, i i'm i'm curious what approximately what would you say your success rate is
0: oh man we yeah we hunt we hunt our butts off and we you know, we know what we're doing now. We've done it long enough to where we've got a good system in place. And I feel like we are pretty dialed in, but, um, yeah, I mean, success rates are not, <laughs> not what they seem. I mean, we, um, uh, especially hunting, you know, like I said, in Missouri, when the birds have been tough and not cooperative, like, you know, I want to say the past few years, you know, we've killed a handful of, of birds in Missouri between, you know, six or eight of us. So, it's it's tough it's it is very very tough and like you said you can do everything right and then it come to full draw and like you still got to make the shot and you still got to that's that's like the hardest thing i think is is being patient waiting for the right opportunity to draw but then also waiting for the right shot like the, the birds especially if they're coming into a male decoy obviously are very agitated, they're worked up, they're moving, they're kicking, they're slapping it with the wing, you know, whatever it may be. And so like for you, for like to just to be, it's hard to be patient, but literally you got to be patient and wait for the bird to at least try to you know, sit still somewhat because a bird taking one step is the difference between a complete miss and a a lethal hit, or even, you know, a a wounded bird or just feathers. Um, And so there's so many factors. It's tough. It is very, a very difficult thing to do is shoot, shoot a bird with a bow and, um, gosh, just, there's just so many factors, feathers when they're at full strut, you know, I, I, I like to shoot them facing away. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of, that's kind of been my most, um, uh, high, high success rate shot Would be, I think kind of facing away. It seems like, um, you know, it seems like your margin of error is less. And it seems like if you're in the cavity with them facing away, it just cripples them, just crunches them down. and and uh seems to be the the best shot but oh man my heart's already racing now I'm all just talking about it I'm ready to go <laughs> I'm ready to go chase him <laughs> uh,
1: I like that shot too facing away preferably um once they've dropped their fan I know um a lot of people like to shoot him in strut and um I I'm just always freaked out that I'm going to damage the fan <laughs> you know if I zip yeah. right right through the fan and so I'm
0: sure you don't have enough fans at home Brett. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah I mean, it
1: ruined. You know, it ruins the picture when you knock out three yeah. primaries.
2: I uh yeah, I good. was on a hunt a few years ago where my uh me and my hunting partner were taking the owner's son and he wanted to kill one with his bow and he hadn't killed one with his bow and so my hunting partner was trying to tell him when to shoot and it was it was um in full, in full strut facing directly away. And the fan was, you know, perfectly perpendicular to us. And my, my hunting partner told the guy to shoot and he did, but you know how a Turkey changes the angle of its, of its fan. So, so often yep. Well, the bird, the bird was angled quite a bit to the side and we couldn't see. And so I'm the same way. I, I like, I'd rather have, I love the shooting um, from, from behind, but, I like to have the the fan down if possible. So you yeah, can I had that same so exact thing happen you
0: know? uh, last year, the year before where it was, he, he was kind of like partial strut, but still I thought I had him lined up, you know, square. And, and he was actually turning quartered away more than I thought. And luckily, um, you know, luckily the arrow still found vitals and, and the bird went down, but it definitely like the arrow exited, through his chest, not where, not near the beard, where I was anticipating it, and so it's just like with deer, you know, you you hunt them enough and you shoot them enough, you see just crazy things happen. Shots that look perfect end up being, you know, non-fatal shots or just shots that aren't as as good as you once thought. But um, you know, thankfully, you know, th- there's a lot of different broadheads that put the odds kind of back in our in our favor. I always tell everybody, like, you know, I shoot I shoot a big nap kill zone max but um you know the bigger the expandable the better it seems to be when when it comes to hunting turkeys uh, i know a lot of guys use the guillotines out of blinds and stuff uh we i've done that a few times I haven't done a ton of that but uh, you know it's all that's the that's the cool part about hunting is there's so many different ways to do it and there's so many different tactics and techniques and products that shoot you can try it all and see what you like best kind of deal
2: and what what was the name of the big expandable expandable that you like the most?
0: It's a Killzone Max, so it's a okay. it's a we sh- I shoot the Killzone NAP Killzone for deer. It's two inch broadhead, but the Killzone Max is like two and three eighths, so it's pretty substantial. Um, NAP also makes a broadhead called like the Gobbler Getter, I believe, and it's um it's got like a soft tip, um so it's not like super sharp, like a blunt tip, so it kind of helps you know absorb some of the kinetic energy and not not get a full full pass through um which wait, always, obviously always helps too
2: We've had Brad you've had some experience with that one that didn't actually didn't turn out that great Yeah oh,
1: Yeah unfortunately it was the first hunt I ever did with Trent um there in Kansas uh I hit I hit the bird he was standing completely broadside to me up posturing up against the Jake decoy and I made what looked like a great shot and the bird killed over and he flopped once or twice and then he went motionless and we were in a ground blind it was raining that morning so um I I you know was high-fiving uh Trent's buddy I can't remember his name but he was filming it and um you know we both thought that the bird was dead and so you know uh we high 5 each other and then I go to get out of the blind and before I can get around you know, to the front of the blind to go retrieve the bird. He gets up and he runs straight away. And um, you know, we never we never saw him again. He he made it to a tree line and and disappeared. We went down there and, you know, look for blood and um never did recover the bird. I felt I felt terrible about it, but what had happened was my arrow had hit him right in the wing and broke his wing, shattered his wing. I mean there was bone fragments all over the ground where he had gone down and it immobilized him for you know half a minute or so and then he just got up and and ran away but um that was using that particular nap um like gobbler getter i think is is what it's called uh, like you mentioned but um yeah i swore boy i'm never going to use a blunt tip again <laughs> it's just it wasn't a great experience i mean maybe it, it would have been different if i had hit him somewhere softer but I hit him literally right in the thickest part of it, of his wing.
0: Everybody seem, seems to, if you get, you know, turkeys, they're just, if you bow hunt them enough, I mean, there's, yeah, they're, they're smaller birds and there's, you know, not as much to go through like a, like a whitetail, but those bones are insanely, insanely strong and hard. And so, I've had people ask, like, whoa, like, why didn't you get a pass through with that shot? Like, what's going on there? I'm like, well, because <laughs> I just put a two and three eighths inch cutting diameter through the breastbone of a turkey. Like, that's like shooting through a, you know, shoulder blade of a whitetail. So it's just, um, they're tough. They're tough animals. And, yeah, you got to hit them just right for sure.
2: Well, and even even the feathers. Yeah. Yeah, the the feathers themselves are are just amazingly. That's it's like Kevlar, you know, and it's it's you know, it's on both sides of of all that, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they so- rob a lot of the energy.
2: And
1: sometimes yep. even when you do make a great shot the bird still just takes it. And then yeah. you know, I mean they might still go 50 60 yards. It's it's pretty incredible. They are very very hardy birds.
0: Yeah
2: you know yep, another no thing is, is there's a lot of misinformation too about like if you if you if people do like a a google search of you know turkey anatomy and where the where you know where the 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 the, the kill zone is and stuff like that there's there's some pretty crazy information that's out there and stuff and a lot of people just don't don't really understand you know, where, uh, where the kill zone is on a turkey and how to, and it gets way more difficult once a bird is in full strut, you know, because you've got all those lofted feathers and you've got this pretty, pretty small little, you know, carriage in there um, that you, you have to hit with your arrow. You know, you have to hit that or you have to hit, you know, the, the hips Um, there and there's, you know, it's not a very big target. That's for sure.
0: Wait, you mean if it's not if it's on the internet, it's not automatically true? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, amazing uh, discovery there on my part.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, what uh, what do you guys? I get this question a lot, and it seems like you know I, I know my thoughts on it, but like what when you guys go, you know, you guys obviously make a variety of of decoys now, especially with you know the posturing, Jake, the regular three-quarters strut Jake, the full strut Jake, you make the white face. You know, what? what's your guys' kind of go-to decoy? Do you switch it up all the time, or do you like use a specific one that is your kind of go-to decoy?
2: I I switch it up quite a bit, but I, I've i kind of leaned more towards strutters lately and um, probably about 50-50 between the Jake strutter and the Tom strutter. But I also like the posturing Jake quite a bit. But I, I've I've kind of been leaning more towards strutters myself lately and kind of kind of having fun with that. I was just gonna
1: say, um, for me it really depends on if I'm hunting with a bow or a shotgun. If I'm if I'm shotgun hunting, um, I'm all about the the show. I always use a gobbler decoy. I I love watching, you know, the bird come in super aggressive and beat up on the on the gobbler, whether that's a Jake or or a strutter every situation is a little bit different if i have if i'm after a more dominant bird i'll always use a strutter um but if if i'm not really sure where the bird is in the pecking order or there's a bunch of different birds in the area uh you know um i'll i'll typically run a, a jake decoy uh, either our posturing jake or our our three-quarter strut jake but if i'm if I'm bow hunting, um, I actually just recently started really liking uh, an all-hen setup, and I always put a mating hen in there, and my goal is to get the bird to mount the decoy. And I mm-hmm. found that, um, generally speaking, once a bird is, is on top of that decoy, they get really comfortable and relaxed, and they tend to be relatively still. And it gives me a chance to really kind of settle down and, you know, let the bird do his thing. And then whenever I'm ready to take the shot, you know, I just, I'm much more relaxed that way, you know, drawing back. And I've also found that a bird is so focused on breeding the decoy at that point that um, I can get away with more movement. So um, I, I shot several birds just right off the back of the mating hen last year with my bow and and so that's
2: kind of that's kind of my favorite setup now nice yeah do you you let him finish finish brad i'm just i think some of our listeners are are going to want to know is it a happy ending (laughs) (laughs) bittersweet (laughs)
1: right bittersweet it's a great ending for me but uh not so much (laughs) for the the tom although
2: i will say that that is you know if you're gonna go that's kind of the way to go out right yeah could be worse right yeah uh i want one of the things i would add about that too is like um on on hunts where i've had only hens out even if the birds come in strutting they're they're moving really slow um and they're not they're not as active as as you know birds that are trying to to fight you know with a gobbler decoy so so sometimes for me like that's been a good way to to get my bow drawn or make a good shot and and not have it be so stressful of a bird that's like actively like jumping on a gobbler decoy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. Um, it's just funny. Yeah. I just, I, I love, I love to hear what different people think. You know, I, I got a buddy that swears by the strutter and he puts out the flock, he'll put the strutter out and the Jake out, um, you know, with a bunch of hands and, um, you know, I, I know, I know for a fact sometimes we give the birds way, way too much credit, but uh just funny man like he you know i i always feel like for me i'm always like oh like i I can't do the all hen setup i just can't do it like (laughs) because i'll do it and then the birds will fly down and have their own hens and like have no reason to leave them and then you're like oh i should have had the jake i should have had the strutter i should have you know we're second guessing every move but um i do love the ability to switch it up like because we hunt we're hunting a lot of the same birds birds that have been literally you know mating and and interacting for the past you know two months and so they know you know they have a pretty good idea of the pecking order and of the situation going on and so you know if you're hunting the same area with the same decoy set up over and over and over again it definitely seems to me like you know you have better odds of success if you switch it up give them a different look and and uh, change things up so it seems like we're always always tinkering and trying different stuff but uh, it's funny. It just, you know, you catch one in the right mood, and it doesn't necessarily matter. Sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, we have a, uh, we have a new decoy that you have to try. Um, it's the posturing hen, and yes, can't wait is, to get my hands on it. It's yeah, going to be yeah, delivered a, this week, I think. Yeah. That, so the fun, the fun thing about that is, um, uh, we we have a good friend who who raises turkeys and, and he he always puts our decoys in and around his turkeys and see how they, how they react and interact and everything. And he, he told me the other, the other day that um, he, his hens have hardly ever had a reaction to any, to any of the turkey decoys. They just, for the most part, just, just don't pay attention to them. And then he said he put that posturing hen out the other day and actually he filmed um, his hens, uh, the, kind of the boss hen, just, just puffing up and come running in and start starting doing fighting purrs and, and going into a full strut. And he said he's never seen a reaction like that. So, um, and we've had a few encounters like that and even hunting encounters like that where it's, it might be, might be just the thing for, for those types of situations.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that brings up a good point. Cause I, it seems like sometimes over the years having these really tricky gobblers that are just tough to get, to get killed um, you know, if they're hind up and you can get that hen fired up and get her mad and she comes in, then he's coming with her. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love interacting with hens, you know, that time of year when you get one, just mad and just chirpy and she's just cutting you off and, and, you know, cutting back at you. And, uh, that's like my favorite way to like, really, really finish a, a really wary gobbler is, is when you win his hen over, get her in the decoys all pissed off and fired
1: up seems like the they'll follow yeah and and um yeah you make a great point i've killed a lot of birds that just felt like they were impossible to call in um until i was able to get that boss hen all fired up it is exciting mike what would you say is and this is kind of a loaded question i think i already know the answer but um what is your go-to decoy setup?
0: Uh, I would say the majority of the time, I I kind of start off with the three quarter, strut Jake, um, with a with a few hens. Um, we it, it does it depends on on where we're hunting, but uh, a lot of times, you know, we're we're hunting areas that have pretty high numbers, and so uh, seems to me like you know that that's kind of my go to initially out of the gate to see to not necessarily you know. Sh- push birds away because i don't know i've seen it both ways you think like you know you think like the strutter decoy might be intimidating to some birds and um but i've seen i've seen birds shy off you know be intimidated or or not not come all the way into like the jake so i really just think a lot of it depends on their mood and what they're feeling and a lot of times though we're hunting groups of gobblers so there'll be a group of two or a group of three and they're kind of kind of bullies you know they're running around together and they kind of feed off of each other's energy so like you know they're they're coming in they're like looking at each other like you ready? You ready? We're gonna do this? Are we doing this? And then there's always the one. There's always the one, you know, with his snood, you know, not his his snood's all short and he's in the back like, guys, guys, no, no, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and, uh, but it seems like we're we deal with a lot of groups of gobblers and so that Jake seems to be seems to be um, uh, you know, really effective for that. But uh like I said, if if last year I had I had a I think it was that same group of four gobblers that ended up blasting one with a shotgun, you know, I had the Jake out and they came in about 60, you know, all excited. And they're like, I don't know. There was like a couple other gobblers in the field gobbling. And there was just a weird, a weird pecking order thing going on. And they're like, they got kind of hesitant and, and moved on. So when I f- hunted them a couple days later, I, I tried the, uh, I switched it up and tried the strutter decoy. So, you know, when they're, when they've made their, their mind up and when they've kind of decided what they're going to do, you know, they kind of stick, stick to it. Other days you catch them in the right mood and it seems like you can't do anything wrong.
1: Okay. So, um, you've said you, you like to use, uh, the three quarter shot jake and some hen decoys. Now, what about specifically, um, tell us about your decoy placement. How do you set up the jake relative to the hens and, and where are you trying to make a focal point for, for, you know, just the ideal position for the bird to be in when you take your shot?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, so being that we don't use blinds, we try not to get the decoys too, too close. Um, you know, usually they're going to approach the, the male decoy for the most part if you have one out, I feel like. And so we'll put the hens maybe at like 15, 16 um, or put them in a direction where I like I like to have the hens, the gobbler in between. Uh, I'm sorry. I like to have the, the Jake decoy in between the hens and where we think the bird's going to come. So essentially they got to come by him to get to the hens kind of deal. Um, so usually I'll put the hens a little closer to to us. Um, every setup's a little different, but, uh, they usually have the the male decoy at like around, around 20 yards. And of course, you know, we're setting up in the pitch black. And so half the time you'll do that and be like, Oh yeah, I think it's about 20 and ends up being like 12 (laughs) or, or sometimes the other way around. But, uh, but yeah, I like to do that. We, we be, uh, we've been using the the motion stake a bunch, um, the remote strut stake. And so, uh, to add some movement and to, you know, keep the bird's attention. And, um, that seems to be really effective at just making things more realistic, obviously like the decoys are as real as they can, they can be. And then you add a little motion to them and it just really helps, helps kind of tie it all together. Um, It kind of gets, it's kind of similar to like the waterfowl hunting in that aspect. Like you watch a flock of birds feeding in a field and you see all the movement that goes on. It's really a miracle that we ever trick any birds to coming into a flock of decoys, I feel like, because the movement you just can't match. Um, But there's, you know, there's ways that you can add movement. And I think anything helps in that aspect.
1: For sure. So it sounds to me like you're saying uh, you're your gobbler decoy is typically your focal point. You're anticipating that the birds are going to go to him and so you want to put your gobbler decoy um, you know, kind of front and center where where your ideal shot would be.
0: Right. Yeah, and I like to face him kind of away from away from usually towards me but away from where you know we think the birds going to come from. Seems like especially with that strutter like if they can't see the bird's head, if they don't know that the bird knows they're there kind of deal. It kind of frustrates them sometimes and that's the nice thing with the with the I know for a fact that the, that makes a difference with that strutting remote strutting state because if you turn you know I, I've watched gobblers you know come running in and as that decoy turns to him and they see the head of the decoy they kind of slow down and see what he's going to do see if he's going to come running back I mean they're they're you know fueling off of each other's uh body language and so um, you know that decoy turns back away from him, and he may get more aggressive and say, "Oh, he doesn't care about me. Does not, doesn't respect my my presence. I'm going to come come fight." And so uh, it's always interesting to to play with those those decoys and just do do different stuff and see how the birds react.
1: And is that the Strutton 360 that you're talking about?
0: We've actually been using the um, the redhead uh, version, the one that Bass Pro sells um, that we've been messing with the past oh several years we've kind of just rigged it up to where it'll work on various decoys of your guys's and uh, kind of uh, find a way to make it work.
1: And that runs by remote?
0: Yep. You click the button, yep, turn it, you click it again, it goes the opposite way kind of deal. So it's just kind of the spin, the, the, the left and right spinning movement added to it.
1: Yeah, which is definitely, in my experience, deadly effective. I wish we could use motorized decoys here but um pretty much all the western states outlaw them so um you know we're we're forced to use pull cords which are super effective uh i've sure. had countless birds that you know they get hung up at 50 60 yards and um you know they're kind of checking out your decoys and they're not really sure if they want to come in or not and i tell you man i'd say nine out of ten times you you give the decoy a little turn and that's all they need
0: mm-hmm yeah, I mean they're, like I said, they're simple. They're simple, n- simple-minded birds. They're like they seem to be sm- really smart times, but yeah, it's like something that just oh, triggers something in their mind, and boom, they're into it. And we, yeah, we've been doing that for years. We, you know, we just run fishing line to our decoys with a little fishing reel, and and do whatever else to add to add motion, because, uh, you know, we need we need everything we can to put the odds in our favor at times.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one of the really cool things about Um, hunting over decoys in my opinion for turkeys is just how impossible the birds can can seem to be um you know to kill and then once they buy it you know once they're fully committed to the decoys it's like they just lose their minds and sometimes it feels like you could just stand up and and you know draw and and they're just so focused on the on the decoys at that point that uh, it almost doesn't seem fair
0: it's it's insane, yeah. They they're definitely a, a creature of of the mood. And last year, that uh, my bird I killed in Missouri last year, I shot him, and he was flopping in the decoys. And then um, here comes the other bird comes into the decoy, and then he sees my bird and just loses his mind, starts pecking him, attacking him. You know, I don't know if they think that he's got a hen underneath him, he's breeding, whatever. I literally it got to the point where I was like, okay, you're gonna like literally tear my bird to pieces. It's ripping all these feathers off. So I got up out of the blind and and crawled out to him and got, I don't know, six, seven yards, maybe even closer. And he literally, every time he put his head up, I would just stop and then he'd go right back at it. And I would just take a step and I literally had to like shoo him off on my bird. He was just so, so fired up.
2: Mm-mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, even, I, I, even deer, deer do that too. Like, uh, I mean, I shot a blacktail buck a couple of years ago and uh, he went, he went about, 25 yards and, and bedded, bedded down and was gonna, was gonna die. I I double lunged him. And another, another buck just came just strolling in and it just like, you know, he just went directly towards that one and just immediately just, just tried to like gore, gore him, you know? And I'm just like, my gosh, these, these, these deer were probably buddies all summer, you know? And now his buddy's like dying and he has to, you know, charge him and stuff. And, and I've seen whitetails, I've seen videos of whitetails doing that, you know, somebody shoots one and then while it's laying there dead, another one comes in and starts like trying to charge it, you know, it's like, geez, brutal.
0: Savage. When it comes to mating, they don't, they don't mess around. I guess we're not too far off from that either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: true. (laughs) Well, Michael, uh, will you, will you remind all of our listeners like where uh, we can watch all of your great work?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the best, the best way to kind of stay in tune with what's going on is through social media. We're uh, obviously very active on, on Instagram and Facebook. And that's kind of where we post, you know, most of our our content and announcements about that. Um, But the new, the most, you know, the most relevant stuff right now is our new season of full strut and we're dropping new episodes every week for the next uh, nine weeks or so. So all bow hunting turkeys, no blinds for the most part, just, up close and personal with the with the gobblers and so uh those will be like i said on every platform it's we, we drop it on facebook instagram youtube amazon prime roku uh oh, just everywhere so if if, if if you watch content somewhere that it's not you need to let us let us know so we can be there but uh beyond that we're putting together all the new episodes for this upcoming season of heartland bowhunter that'll be on outdoor channel and uh, we're editing those, then those will be releasing in July. So starting in July. But uh, then uh, also we do a similar to the full Strat, We do the behind the draw series, which is a digital series, all all online. Uh, Ten episodes of, of digital big game hunting content too. So lots of great hunts coming up, and uh, lots of good lots of good stuff coming out, coming out. So
1: right very on. cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to to check out uh, this season's work, and um, we are now at an hour and 17 minutes. Probably <laughs> a pretty good time for us to sign off. But uh, we really appreciate you joining the show today, Michael, and best of luck uh, to you guys in your continued success with the show and your upcoming season.
0: Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you. We appreciate. Appreciate the partnership and uh, looking forward to testing out the new Hindi, core.
1: Well, thanks for listening to this episode of DSD Hunting Podcast. Um, We'd really appreciate you helping us grow this podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or even just share on social media. Uh, That goes a long ways. We'd love the chance to keep bringing fresh content, So if you don't already, follow us, Dave Smith Decoys, on Instagram and Facebook for updates on new episodes. We'll have opportunities for customers to get involved, too, with the conversation and ask questions. So keep an eye out every Friday for new episodes. And thank you so much for all your support and for listening to us.